0: Welcome to Always College Football. Today is Labor Day. I hope you're enjoying your day off. We are laboring on Labor Day. I'm actually here right behind me was an amazing game. I just finished up. We just called LSU in Florida State, and what a finish. Oh, my goodness. I don't think any of us could have seen the drama coming from start to finish in this one. Let's just go through a few things in just a minute, but not yet. We'll get to it in a minute. He's Mark Kubiak. I'm Greg McElroy. We hope you've enjoyed week one. As much as we have, it's been incredible. Please like, rate, and subscribe. It helps us out. It helps the show out. So please tell your friends, too, because we, uh, we of course, are are we got the game right back here. Florida State fans are still celebrating on the field. But either way, it's been an incredible atmosphere here in New Orleans. So without much further ado, let's talk about it. All right, let's talk about last night's game or tonight's game. However, I, I'm tired. That was a long one, but it was so much fun. Oh, my goodness. It was so much fun. Let's talk about a few different things, all right? Florida State, the way that they put their offensive plan together, I thought it was a thing of beauty. They mixed formations. I thought they did a really good job of balancing run pass. They made it really tough on LSU. It was really almost as if LSU never really had a good feel for what they were trying to bring at them. And I thought for the most part, man, if you look at how Jordan Travis has progressed, he is a different guy, man. So much better this year than he was last year, really at any point. And you start to see him becoming a little bit more predictable with how he places the football. Really, really impressive performance. I think the receivers were excellent. The offensive line held up pretty good against an outstanding defensive line for LSU. So I thought it was a great performance from Florida State's offense. Defensively for Florida State. uh, By the way, back to the offense in just a minute. And all the mind-numbing plays that I've seen this weekend, never do a pitch on the goal line. Like if there's one thing that we all learn in this program, all right, I hope we do this program for 30 years. I really believe that. I want to. But if you hear nothing between from our first show to our last show, hear this. Never pitch the ball on the goal line. Only bad things can happen. There's nothing positive. Worst case scenario, you hand it off, you get stuffed in the backfield, you kick a field goal, you win the game by 10, all right? I actually thought that there was a lot of reason to actually let them score because it was inevitable they were going to be up two scores either way. So I thought there was at least a little bit of a thought for that. But LSU got life because Florida State gave it to them. Uh, And they made the most of it. They went right down the field. I thought they did a really good job of attacking the perimeter, attacking out routes, getting the ball to the sideline, and stopping the clock when they only had a couple timeouts. So all things considered, excellent performance, top to bottom from Florida State. Let's talk about the mistakes. LSU made a million of them. And Florida State didn't capitalize on all of them, but they did capitalize on several. Can't drop punts. That's to be expected. Can't get field goals blocked. And it wasn't the kicker's fault. The ops time was fine. The protection on the left side was actually terrible. And we talked to Brian Polian leading up to the game. He said, man, I just want to disappear this week. No mistakes. No nothing. Well, the third phase of the game cost LSU the game in a lot of ways. Jaden Daniels, I thought, did some nice things. Still a little erratic in the pocket, still a little bit erratic as a thrower. But for all intents and purposes, he was the best thing they had going for him tonight offensively. The offensive line did not look like they were a cohesive group whatsoever. I didn't think they ran the ball great. But the broken plays and the scramble plays that Jaden Daniels made, those were a big reason why LSU was in the game to begin with. So I thought he played pretty well. The receivers – did not play as advertised. Those guys need to be better next week because that's a great group and they didn't play like it tonight. Defensively, I hate that Mason Smith was lost early in the game. Hopefully he's okay. Say a prayer for him if you could. I don't know what it was, but a non-contact knee injury, it didn't look good. The way it kind of tweaked their as he was jumping up in celebration there early in the first quarter. So uh, let's sum it up by saying this. It was a great performance by the Seminoles. It was a sloppy performance by LSU. Both teams, I think, can still do a lot of good things this year, but both teams need to get a lot better in a hurry because both made way too many mistakes tonight. But it's to be expected. It's week one, and it was a remarkably good game and a perfect way to cap off a Sunday of college football. Lions, Tigers, and tailgates. Oh, my. The college football season is always a great time of year. Besides the jerseys, the face paint, and the foam fingers, there's the food. And nothing gets you more fired up for game day than Eckrich smoked sausage. They're naturally hardwood smoked and have the perfect blend of spices from buffalo sausage dip to Sausage, chili, mac, and cheese, Eckridge Smoked Sausage is a quick way to bring flavor to all your tailgate meals. Visit Eckridge.com for easy, one-of-a-kind sausage recipes. Eckridge, you do you. Football season is here, and nothing beats seeing your favorite team live. Not only does Vivid Seats have great NFL ticket prices, they're also the official ticketing partner of ESPN. And with Vivid Seats rewards, when you buy 10 tickets, you get the 11th free. Download the app or visit vividseats.com today. Vivid Seats, life happens live. Receive a reward credit equal to the average price of 10 tickets purchased, excluding taxes, fees, and processing costs. See vividseats.com slash rewards for terms and conditions. All right, let's talk about it. Ohio State obviously looked outstanding, okay? And for those of you that, that are watching me right now, we are sitting here live, Bef- well not live, but we're sitting here in Caesar Superdome in New Orleans, Louisiana as LSU and FSU is about to kick off, the magic of television. So just disregard Joe Tessitore, McStats over here, and our good friend Jeff Calhoun. Disregard them, all right? Let's focus on what happened last night, all right? Let's start there, okay? be any prouder of our team in the way that our team played, especially in the fourth quarter. A lot of people question our toughness going into the off season. Well, I mean, you have to watch the film and you make your decisions if you thought that team was tough tonight. And to, for us to win the way we did, I couldn't be any prouder. And we lost Jackson early on and it was a struggle. Their game plan was to kind of hold on to the ball and control the game. And so there wasn't as many possessions. And, you know, we missed on a few things early, got off schedule. But to be able to get the run game going in that last quarter, man, says a lot about our team. Ohio State got punched. That's right. They got punched. I can't tell you how proud I was to see how they responded, though. I mean, if we're going to take anything away from it, okay, it's that Notre Dame came to play. You had clearly seen all offseason people saying, well, this is not going to be competitive. This is going to be a one sided affair. This is going to be all this other stuff. Right. We told you last week, I didn't think it was going to be that way. Because there were elements of Ohio State that I thought were gettable. I think that we become enamored a little bit with the high-flying, potent offense. We know that they're elite. We get that. Their quarterback's elite. Their receivers are elite. Their offensive line looks the part. Their running game can get going. But what I was most proud of last night was how they weathered the storm, they got punched in the face, and then they bounced back. And that, to me, showed me an awful lot about what this team is made of. Because I have not seen them play that physical in a while. I thought their defense was flying around, constantly applying pressure, constantly getting after the quarterback. I thought offensively the way they ran the ball. By the way, Mayan Williams, I we had talked to Josh Perry about this a couple weeks ago. When we did our Ohio State preview. He was not a name that was really on my radar as far as what could make this offense go at any point this year. But how about him stepping up, knowing that He could be the hammer, given that Henderson is obviously going to be the lightning. That guy, though, Maya Williams, I think kind of best embodied what last night's performance was all about. He ran hard, he ran physical, and he made Notre Dame's defense feel him as he finished runs there, especially there in the fourth quarter. So biggest takeaway for me as far as Ohio State, we can break the game down extensively down the road. But the biggest takeaway is that they did a remarkably good job of weathering the storm, being physical, and matching the physicality that Notre Dame brought to them. That, I thought, was a step in the right direction. Now, if we can just get that offense going a little sooner, <laughs> it'd be nice, that's for sure. Let's move now to the Florida Gators. Well, this group's
1: got fight in it, and I don't think I've said that publicly. You know, this one thing about our team that I respect is they compete. I mean uh, – i've got to slow them down sometimes right in the practice environment i mean and i can remember a good friend of mine when we took the job who had worked here before he said these kids at florida are the most competitive kids i've ever been around right so uh, and i would agree with them i mean they've got a little bit different edge about them um, so you know the execution wasn't always what we wanted out there um, we got so much work to do. You know, that's what I think about. We were fortunate to overcome, you know, many mistakes tonight, right? But the intangibles that the team showed, they continue to respond and then to rise up there at the end uh, and make a play. So, you know, we, we, we've we got work to do. We won a game, and uh, it's a special moment. We're going to enjoy it, and then uh, we're going to turn the page tomorrow and get ready for SEC play.
0: Let's, uh, let's not get carried away with, going absolutely insane okay i got i'm going to to preface this by saying i don't want you to sit here and only hear that anthony richardson is vince young he's not that okay he's not that so i just understand the comparison here but when you look at his importance to this team and to this roster he reminds me so much of vince young Early in Vince Young's career. Now, I grew up going to the Red River shootout with my dad. I grew up going to Texas games with my family. Like, I watched Vince Young from the time I was in eighth grade until the time I was a senior. Like, he's one of my favorite college football players of all time. So, s- comparing anyone to him is almost unfair. But j- if you just watch the way Anthony Richardson moves, If you watch the way he makes the game look effortless, a lot of people have compared him to Cam Newton and Tim Tebow. I don't think he's anything like those two. Uh, I think he, of course, you know, has some qualities that are somewhat consistent, but those two guys were really power runners. They were going to put their shoulder down, get you the tough yardage, and they were going to just kind of grind you out. Now, Cam had open field speed. Tim was decent in the open field, but he made his hay on short yardage and goal line. Cam... I think his big physical presence allowed him to be a really good power runner as well. But when you look at Anthony Richardson and just how he moves and how fluid he is and just how the game just looks easy and he makes everyone else look like they're slow. I mean, he's moving faster than anyone on the field. It's like no one can catch him, but he doesn't even look like he's trying. There's something very similar to me about him. I have only compared one other person to Vince Young, that was Lamar Jackson. I think Anthony Richardson, not saying he's going to win a Heisman. I'm not saying he's you know going to be the best player in college football. All I'm saying is he's on track to maybe becoming that one day. That last night was amazing. Best exemplified by the two point conversion. How he just kind of gave a pump fake and just kind of bought time and escaped, somehow magically escaped, hits the receiver wide open in the back of the end zone, just makes it look so easy. But overall, when you look at this game, few things that I take away. One, Utah's not dead. All right. I'm not going to be one that comes on this program and say the Pac 12 is dead. I'm not. Uh, I think Utah did a lot of good things. They got to learn how to finish drives, obviously. But you also have to tip your cap to Florida, man. They played great in the red zone. Great in the red zone. And I thought they did a really good job of being aggressive. Ventrell Miller on defense was all over the place. I don't know how many tackles he ended up having because tackle stats to me are almost unreadable. But it felt like the guy made every play. It was pretty dang impressive to watch him fly around. This group defensively, I think, has a chance to really grow into a solid unit over the course of the season. I saw a different edge about Florida last night that I really liked, and I think that they are going to surprise some folks this year based on that performance last night. But, man, Anthony Richardson, he's the closest thing to Vince Young I've seen since Lamar Jackson, and that to me is about as high a praise as you can possibly get. Moving on to to the Big Twelve, okay. We, I think a lot of people have kind of, I'm not saying shoved the Big Twelve aside, okay. They haven't, and, and let's let's even if you, we want to go into you know some of the other, matters, but Baylor looks great. Like you could say, okay, well, who's it against? All this other stuff. That's fine. Big Twelve in general has had an outstanding weekend. They really have. You think about. Baylor's performance Oklahoma State albeit having some issues defensively even West Virginia in defeat doing a lot of nice things TCU looked excellent on Saturday on Friday night there's a lot to like about the teams in the Big 12 and I I don't think that we spent enough time Oklahoma looked looked dominant you know I mean there's just oh, Texas looked dominant I mean like all these other things and, and I understand people are going to say well who is it against I get that and that's a perfectly reasonable response. it is I'm not gonna I'm not gonna push back and say that they looked great against great teams they didn't maybe we'll learn more about them this week you know for example Texas like if they play Bama close to me that's a good thing more on that game down the road but all things considered I think it was a really positive week for the big 12 just given everything that's gone on with the league in the last 12 months, it was a really solid start. So I I think this league, like we've talked about all offseason, I've thought it was six teams deep. I thought, you know, there's six teams that could legitimately win the league. I might even feel better about that today than I did in the preseason. I only feel affirmed in that belief. And I think that West Virginia is a team that nobody's going to want to play. And they were not in that initial group of six. I think that they're 100% a bowl team, probably a seven-win team. But I never thought that they could get into the Big 12 mix and maybe win the league. I'm still not sure they can, but I know that there'll be a problem for a team that might have hopes of winning the Big 12. All right, let's move to the ACC, too. Uh, I know that people are going to come away from this weekend saying, you know, the ACC. And like I said, I'm taping this right now before Florida State and LSU kick it off. We're in the booth. All right, so... I don't know the result of that game, but I think a lot of people are kind of using the ACC as low hanging fruit and saying, well, Carolina stinks. They can't play defense. So look at NC State needed a kicker to miss a kick to be able to survive. Look at Boston College. So it's like, I feel like people just want to beat up the ACC sometimes. But when you really look at, for instance, the Carolina craziness, and p- people are knocking pit like, oh, pit, look, you got the ACC might be better than we think, but we also need to like just calm down with the overreactions. I mean, App State, that was the biggest game in their school's history, or arguably one of the biggest games in their school history there in Boone, North Carolina. You look at the opportunity, and we told you that that NC State was going to have a difficult time. Like We told you that. I went on Center last week and put NC State on upset alert, and everyone was like, oh, no. No way. I'm like, dude, I know I lived in Charlotte for multiple years. I know those rivalries. Okay. Like, I know how big a deal it is to ECU to have an opportunity to host a ranked team that's right down the road. That is an enormous deal to East Carolina. All right. I know that App State hates North Carolina, hates North Carolina. OK, like they view North Carolina as like a bunch of tea sipping, like wine and cheese crowd. They do. And they want to go up there and climb a mountain and drink beer like App State. They, there's no love lost between those two teams. So for us to now come away from those games and I'm not sitting here and saying that North Carolina or NC State are you know going to make the playoff this year. I really think that NC State's got to figure a lot of things out, I might add, uh, especially goal line offense. Because uh, if you can't run it against ECU, how are you going to run it against Clemson? How are you going to run it against Pitt? All right, so that's a conversation for another day. But I look at the ACC, and I'm not going to overreact and say that the league stinks. I'm not, because people are going to say that it's going to be obnoxious, it's going to be ridiculous, but people are going to overreact to the poor performances of a few teams from the league. Let's just relax. Let's press pause
2: Uh,
0: Let's take a peek at
2: some of these stats from the weekend.
0: How about Stetson Bennett? And I thought what I witnessed from Georgia, just generally speaking, was level of domination that is almost hard to quantify. Stetson Bennett, by the way, the game plan that they put together offensively, I almost felt bad for Oregon, trying to defend all those different weapons. Shoot, I mean, they're like end around, short pass, long pass. It's like, it, I mean, they ran everything throughout the course of that game. And Stetson Bennett looked poised. He looked confident. He was able to carve up Oregon from start to finish. I think Oregon obviously ran out of gas, and the early interceptions certainly gave them a lot of wind beneath their wings. But all things considered, man, Stetson Bennett, tremendous for performance uh, Georgia, I thought had the best performance of the weekend. I'm not sure it was really even close, uh, to dominate a good team. And people are going to say, well, how do we know Oregon's good? I actually think Oregon is pretty good and watching them. It's just, they were playing against grown men on Saturday. And I I'll be the first to admit, I did not see it getting that sideways. I thought Oregon would hang in there. I thought, The Georgia offense would kind of, I would thought they'd be just a little bit more methodical. I thought they'd kind of take their time and impose their will. And I just thought Dan Lanning would have a really good plan. I I still think they moved the ball pretty well early. It just they couldn't get anything going. And of course, the interception was really, really not bueno. So uh, the second one in particular, the first one is a great defensive play. The second one was a backbreaker because they really never recovered from that point forward. All right. How about what went down with Arizona? Jacob Cowling last last night. Look at these numbers. Unbelievable. Arizona might actually, of course, I, I'm not going to sit here and like, like we just talked about a second ago, like let's not completely overreact, but. Could they, based on one performance, be one of the more improved teams in the country? That's a possibility. I don't, you know, I think think them and Syracuse, a few other teams that we, you know, we didn't really expect the results that we got. And sure enough, uh, Arizona getting things done. Happy for Jed Fish and hope that they can continue to kind of create some momentum for themselves because it appears to me that the Pac 12. Is wide open. <laughs> it's wide open. I think Colorado's got some issues, especially the way they played in the second half. The role in the quarterbacks, I'm still not really under sure, uh, understand why they're doing that or what the goal is there. <laughs> but Oregon State looked pretty dang good. Uh, you know, I think that there were a lot of positives from the Pac 12, but there were also, of course, in the biggest games, on the biggest stages, they fell short, which obviously is somewhat disappointing. All right, and of course we got to mention Alabama. I know it was Utah State, but knowing who they play this upcoming week. That was a dominant performance from start to finish. I mean, to hang 55 for the defense to pitch a shutout. And Utah State, let's not forget. I know it's not last year's team. I know it's not the Aggies of 2021, but that was a team that won double-digit games last year. They won the Mountain West Conference. So it's not like that is just, you know, just a random team. That's a team that was pretty dang good last year. And albeit, yes, they have to replace some key pieces to be as dominant as Alabama was. I can't say it was surprising, um, but for it to get that sideways that quickly and for them not to at any point, at any point, look as if there was going to be any stress whatsoever was pretty remarkable. I thought Bryce Young was great. He always is. It should come as no surprise that he had the performance that he did. So they will carry now a ton of momentum. Into Austin next week for one of the biggest games of the weekend. All right, and let's go to Twitter now. Um, as you can see, the Longhorn Network stoking the fire. <laughs> Something tells me, and it's not you know, it's not like I'm that familiar with this program or anything. Something tells me that tweet will be posted in the facility. I'm just just saying, like, just saying. Uh, if I know anything, uh, it's that that tweet will be over every urinal it will be on every mirror it will be on every single piece of weight equipment there in the weight room be careful what you wish for texas i'm just saying well maybe not texas they had nothing to do with it but be careful what you wish for longhorn nation longhorn network do not do not stoke the fire Coach O made this segment famous. This is called Tell the Truth Monday. Okay. They always told the truth. And sometimes, oh, I feel like some games in particular, it's like, all right, maybe we told a little bit too much of the truth. Like, you know, like, so we're going to do it to the best of our ability here on Always College Football as we do our first venture into Tell the Truth Monday. It was easily one of my favorite moments in press conferences. Tell the Truth Monday. All right, Mac, tell the truth North Carolina needs to worry about their defense. I think it's fair to be concerned about the defense if you are Gene Chiswick or if you're a fan of the Tar Heels. Uh, concerned is probably not the right word. It's probably not totally appropriate. I try to keep a fairly level head, as you guys know. Like I don't usually have you know panic attacks or anything, but that might have been some of the worst defense I've seen in the 2021 season and we knew that it was going to be a little bit troubling we knew it was going to be a little bit tricky but my goodness like could you make life harder on yourself and honestly like people first of all for those of you that play football or you never return an onside kick to the house ever okay so like ever you never do that Okay, you never do that because then it gives them an opportunity to go back on offense and you're only up eight. It's a one possession game. It's like you can't return that kick. You grab it. You fall on it. You allow your offense to kneel on it. And the game is over. Okay, so that's a conversation for a different day. But defensively, my goodness, man, guys running wide open guys that aren't tackling. Like, how do you allow a guy to score and go right down the field in 30 seconds? right down the field, hit a guy in stride over the middle of the field, and he's wide open. Like, you know they're going deep. You know they're going to try to push it with the vertical routes. Like, what are we doing? And honestly, I thought they're in the first quarter or so. I was like, okay, this is a better effort. Like, they're actually they're doing some things along the line of scrimmage. They're disruptive. Like, I got a lot of respect for App State. I always have. But I, they were really disruptive. Like, I felt pretty good about how they played there in the first couple possessions. And then, boom, it was like, Right down the field. And, uh, hey, credit Chase Price, credit App State. Chase Price made some difficult throws down the field, missed a few too, but he did some nice things in the game. But, man, to give up 40 points in the fourth quarter is completely inexcusable. All right, from bad defense to bad offense, Iowa needs to be concerned about their offense. (laughs) It's Iowa, man. Like, nothing about that result yesterday was surprising at all. Like, not one thing about it. Uh, they have a ton of issues on offense. They don't have crazy speed. They don't have crazy athleticism. I think they have up-and-down quarterback play. Sometimes he's good. Sometimes he's not. Like, I feel like Iowa, they're never going to completely revolutionize who they are. That's just not – they're not going to get away from what's won Kirk Ferentz an awful lot of games. But – man i mean it's like watching paint dry sometimes and look give credit to south dakota state they played hard and they played well and that's a proud program that you know has tested fbs teams in the past i've you know i got a lot of respect for all the schools in the dakotas like i really do not teams that you want to play but my goodness iowa come on man like i what i was most disappointed in was I expect them to struggle athletically? think like I, I know that about Iowa. They're never going to be a team that's going to just get in five wides and just start out athlete out athleting you like a you know like an Ohio State or like a you know an Oklahoma or someone That's just not who they are. They're going to try to pound you, right? They're going to beat you up at the line of scrimmage. They're going to move you against your will as a defensive lineman off the point and they're going to get great surge. I didn't see a whole lot of surge. I was very disappointed in the offensive performance, but if I'm going to be completely frank, I can't say I was all that surprised.
1: All right, and the last one here, Tell the Truth Monday, the
0: Pac-12's playoff chances are now slim to none after Utah and Oregon lose. First of all, the Pac-12 getting a team in is unlikely, but it's been unlikely. Yesterday's results did not change my mind on that. A lot of people had Utah in the playoff, understandably so. They played great in the Rose Bowl. They carried some momentum. But if you really look at Utah's team, like for instance, I went back in preparing for the game that's about to kick off here in just a little bit. For those of you that didn't watch earlier in the show, like I'm getting ready to call the FSU Florida State game. I went back and watched some tape of Jaden Daniels. And I wanted to see Jaden Daniels performances against the best defenses. So I watched the game against Wisconsin. I watched the game against Utah. If you look at the first half of that Utah game, they got shredded by Jaden Daniels. Now they clamped down in the second half and played great in the second half, ended up winning the game comfortably. But if you really look at it, man, I mean it was it was kind of eye-opening to me watching that team. And I thought the defense really didn't look that great. Uh so I, I think we might have gotten the tiniest bit out in front of our skis on, on uh, Utah. I also think when it comes to Oregon, that was that performance yesterday was more about Georgia than it was about Oregon, and that's why I, I don't want it was going to be tough sledding anyways. But you make a team fly three time zones across the country to play a pseudo home game against a team that's coming off the national championship with a bunch of players that are all ticked off because they've been doubted all offseason, And they've been told that 15 draft picks, how are you going to replace those guys? Well, Oregon went into an absolute hornet's nest. So I'm not going to lose a ton of sleep over those two. I'll tell you this though. I don't see a team in that league being able to survive and go any better than 10 and two. Like, I think in order to get to the cultural playoff, at worst, you have to be 11-2. and We've never even seen a two-loss team make it, but maybe this is the year. Who knows? I don't think anyone's going to be able to run through a gauntlet. I think the Washingtons are potentially improved. I think Oregon State is a serious problem. The way they played last night against Boise was a thing of beauty, just a clinic, absolute clinic. I look at you know what what maybe Arizona is. SC, of course, played pretty good after a horrendous start by UCLA. They got things going in the right direction. If you really look at at UCLA's schedule, they might actually be able to make the best case right now because I think it's the most manageable schedule in the Pac-12. They might be able to make the the best case right now as far as being able to potentially run the table. I mean, anything's possible. So I don't think the Pac-12 is done right now. I do think that their hopes are on life support but I still think that there is a path to the playoffs, so I'm not going to completely bury him at this moment. Hey, thanks for being with us, man. It's been really fun taping this podcast, taking it on the road. I tried to do it from the field, by the way. I tried to do it. I wanted to do it from the field, but they wouldn't let me. <laughs> and the Wi-Fi wasn't great, so it wasn't going to work. Uh, but either way, man, it's been awesome talking about the college football weekend with you. Uh I'm going to go call a game. Um, So I'm pretty excited about that as Florida State and LSU are about to kick off. I know when you're consuming this, that game will have gone final, but I'm getting ready to do so. Like I'm like amped up and fired up. Like I can't wait, but we really appreciate you being with us, man. I love college football. I love what we do. I loved the games yesterday. The outcomes were phenomenal. I thought the environments were phenomenal. So, So excited to continue to talk college football with you this week as we get you ready for week two. Still a lot that we need to break down. We'll do so tomorrow on the Tuesday edition of Always College Football. Please like, rate, and subscribe. Hit us up in our email at alwayscollegefootball at gmail.com. Hit us up on social media at alwayscfb on both Instagram and on Twitter. For Mark Kubiak, I'm Greg McElroy. We hope you have a wonderful day. And remember, it's always college football.